try to understand your process, try to understand the behavior of salmonella in your process and optimize, try to optimize what are the effective interventions to reduce salmonella. So biomapping, invest in biomapping and quantify salmonella in different steps and analyze the data and identify the processes that are effective and processes that are not effective. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. Hi everyone, welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm Karen Grogan, your host today. And uh, today we have Dr. Fernando San Pedro from the University of Minnesota. And we're gonna talk a little bit about everyone's favorite foodborne illness, salmonella. Um, so Fernando, welcome to the show today. How are you? Good, thank you. Thank you, great to be here. Uh, so Fernando, um, Tell us a little bit about your background and your training and how your research took you to salmonella and poultry. Sure, sure. Um, so I'm a food scientist by training, uh, originally from Spain. So I did all my formal training, master's degree and PhD in Valencia. That's my city in Spain. We're a kind of a big agricultural community uh, there. We're, we're known for oranges. Right. Valencia oranges. Orange. Uh, we also have rice, a lot of production uh, of rice. And my PhD was focused on non-thermal technologies, actually. It was more of food processing, looking at high pressure, pulse electric fields, ultraviolet to inactivate pathogens in different products and also to preserve the quality and nutrition of different food products. So that was pretty exciting at that time because those technologies were really advancing fast, and now we can see, for example, high pressure, right, in a lot of different trees being applied. So so that was the initial uh, formal training, and then I got a scholarship to come to the U.S. to do my postdoc research, and I went to IRS, the Agricultural Service uh, from USDA, and it was uh, in the uh, center at Whitmore in Pennsylvania, uh, near Philadelphia. And I kept working on food safety, new technologies, um, for two years, and then the big economic crisis, right? We're talking about 2009. So uh, my plan was going back to Spain, actually, and get a scientist position uh, back there. But, you know, 
the situation was really bad in Europe, Spain, especially unemployment rates were really high. And what most of the governments do, unfortunately, it's cutting the science budget, right? Science, you know, it's not important when they're true in the United States too. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there was not a lot of different possibilities to go back to Spain. So I was looking at different universities and I found University of Minnesota and I applied for a faculty position that was in 2011. And I, yeah, I got a position in the veterinary medicine, uh, surrounded by veterinarians, so a food scientist. Hey, we're good people. Veterinarians are good people. I know. It takes a time. No. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's where I started to work more risk analysis and more focus on animal-based products. And that's how I got into salmonella and, you know, poultry. Excellent. And so now uh, is your, your position is with the uh, School of Public Health. Yep. Okay. And in, in terms of sort of risk modeling, um, where do you see uh, our industry headed in terms of um, addressing the risk that we have in the poultry industry? How, how are we going to tackle that? Yeah, there has been a lot of different insights, movements, regulatory proposals uh, yes. lately, actually, in yes. the last... The regulatory proposals are raising a lot of eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Um, and and I, I, I was part of a roundtable that, um, you know, uh, the National Chicken Council organized like a month ago. And it was a very interesting discussion that we had. And, you know, I think there are two main topics that are main focus now for controlling salmonella. One is what we do with the highly virulent serotypes. You know, because risk assessment, it's coming back saying most of the illnesses are related to certain serotypes. So more than 50% of all illnesses related to poultry maybe are related to four or five serotypes. Uh, so how be, we can address that? If we address those serotypes, we can address most of the illnesses, right? That's one of the main directions that uh, uh, at least FSIS is, is going the other one is how we move away from just prevalence, prevalence of salmonella. We have been doing this for years now, but then we realize that in terms of risk for the consumer, those poultry products with high contamination levels are the ones that are creating illnesses. So the movement is how we enumerate salmonella and different uh, poultry products and how that translates to risk. And, and how, I guess from, you know, sort of my, um, my understanding is we're, we're just getting, we don't have quick technology, um, in, in order to like basically kind of identify those high virulent strains, um, in a timely fashion. So, how how do we how do we make that transition? Like, there's a science piece that seems a piece of the pie that seems to be missing. Um, so, could you kind of explain what that how we bridge that gap? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So the uh, the methodology to uh, you know to identify the specific serotypes and in food in general, you know, are not as fast as the industry needs. Right, that's that's true. But maybe, you know, the way it's focused more in pre-harvest food safety, 
competitive exclusion, vaccines, probiotics, uh, gut microflora, something that we can change maybe the serotypes that, you know, the live animal has, and then, you know, then we, we, we can take care of that with the process, right? In at slurring plants, but maybe the focus is now focusing on pre-harvest. Pre-harvest, or, you know, trying to remove those highly lens So, in in terms of pre-harvest, I, I actually think the poultry industry does a, a pretty good job. We have a pretty good grasp of of interventions, and we're we're kind of doing a lot of those tools already. So, a, again, we would need another, you know, breakthrough scientific technology because. At least a lot of research shows out there that, you know, sort of you can affect that microbiome just very early and then you can't, you can't really shift it very much. Um, so how do we apply um, effective food safety measures? Like we could put stuff out there. Sure. You say we need to vaccinate. Great. We'll put vaccine four times, but maybe only that one, that first vaccine is is truly effective. So I, I think, you know, kind of that modeling is is your your piece of research over, okay, these three things really make an impact. So how do we measure those things? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, we don't have a lot of information of the variability of serotypes in terms of behavior. Uh, for example, in a processing plant, we don't know if Infantis it's more resistant to, let's say, chlorine or any other antimicrobial that we use in a processing plant than typhibrio or enteritis, right? We need to gather more specific data on serotypes uh, because we know from the risk assessment side that, yes, if you remove those serotypes or you try to minimize those serotypes, you will protect the consumer in terms of number of illnesses. But in terms of controlling a specific serotypes in a processing plant, we don't have enough data yet right, our research, yeah, to differentiate how those serotypes survive a processing environment. That's what we need more data uh, uh, on that. That's so great to hear you say we need more data. That's, I think that, um, I think a lot of the, you know, the, the, the regulatory push and then, you know, the science community is like, wait, we, we don't quite, we're, we're not, we're not there to, to the point. Um, so for our listeners out there, um, we've kind of talked around the regulatory piece. Um, would you explain kind of what the, the new regulations that have been proposed um, and, and sort of what those mean? Right, right. So I think, I think uh, so my understanding, and I'm not talking, you know, uh, about, you know, like what FSIS is thinking, but what, what the uh, regulatory proposals or the strategic roadmap, as they say, right? It's focusing on the two, those, those two things, right? These serotypes that are highly virulent. But then the other one is enumeration. And enumeration, I think, has a better success because two things, right? We have current technologies, the quantitative PCR, you know, that is able to quantify salmonella now. Uh, you know, there are several, you know, commercial, you know, companies out there testing that they, have, they can provide that service and they can provide the technology to test and quantify salmonella in a poultry product. And but then, what limit we should right. set? Right? And there is a, right, right. And there is a proposal for those uh, stuffed chicken breaded products that have created a lot of outbreaks, right, in the past. 
And the, you know, there is this proposal of one CFU per gram as a, as a regulatory limit, as a proposal, right? Uh, but we need to be careful with that, right? Because we need to have the technology again that is able to detect it's that. detect the one CFU per gram. I read that, like when I saw, I, would, the, I, was, I got to that point and I was like, how are you going to test that? Like, that that's great that you just, I, I just feel like it was kind of, not necessarily, and as you as a scientist, um, you know, where did that that come from? It's basically like, and I think this is where a lot of it gets to, is we are dealing with biological, you know, uh, a biological being, a chicken, and then processes that are, you know, we, we have a lot of, of num- numbers going through. It's all, it's all a numbers game. And then we're talking about a very small microscopic thing that we're trying to control. Um, and so this is sort of where you're, you know, risk modeling. So what, what points, um, we kind of briefly talked about pre-harvest. What are some additional things we could be doing in terms of processing control points? Right. Yes. One thing that I've uh, shared with industry, uh, you know, poultry industry a lot is I don't think we have good metrics to uh, validate our process. How do we know that the chilling operation is working properly? You know, so for example, if we talk about FDA, FDA sometimes put like, okay, you need a five log production, right? For this process, you know, they put like a certain criteria that industry can compare with. Okay, for pasteurization of juices, I need to have five log reduction. So a combination of temperature and time that will give me five log reduction of a pathogen. We don't have such a thing with, I think, the uh, poultry uh, processing, right? So what is a, a, an adequate log reduction for a chilling process? One log, two logs? Probably a really well-ran chiller. It probably does a good, you know, if everything's running right. But yeah. Yeah, so so I think what will bring this enumeration strategy is that companies can start bringing data. You know, how much load of salmonella you had, how much you were producing in a chilling process. And if we start comparing, you know, industry data and industry processes, we can kind of stutterize and say, okay, you know, like a one lock reduction will be like a good value, for example, to say that your chilling process is working, right? And you are adding the adequate antimicrobial concentration and pH and water recirculation, right? But since, you know, like giving those guidelines in terms of how much pathogen reduction you should have in different processes will help industry as well to meet any potential future FSIS regulatory standards. Do do you think in, in your, you know, you clearly look at this and analyze this and have been at roundtables, is, is there sort of a, a threshold that, you know, like the, the, their tolerance, you know, tolerance levels and, and amounts allowed, and then what we can achieve as an industry in terms of, you know, I'm, again, I'm not a food scientist, but to get to like a zero, you know, if we get to the point where salmonella itself in, in any amount, and we already see this now with one particular product, that one CFU per gram is considered an adulterant. And that's that's a big word, adulterant. Um, so if we get to that point, how, I guess I just see the, 
the, the cross section happening, that the, the tolerance levels will get to a point. And, and if we do everything pre-harvest, post-harvest plant, like everything that we can do, is it possible to get to those requirements? That's a great question as well. You, you know, it, it, it's happening already with prevalence. You know, we're seeing levels of what, two, three percent. If you look at the latest, you know, scientific publications, it's already extremely low for a raw product. Right? People will cook it, you know, unless a new chef comes with a sushi or something like that, which. Oh, ew, no, not allowed. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so consumers will still be cooking all poultry, right? So, so. Well, that's a questionable thing is people's, you know, cooking habits. Right. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I think there are two things here. What is the detection limit for this new technology to quantify salmonella? You cannot go, you know, below the detection limit for sure. So once if you, we need to compare that with what are the current, you know, limit of detection for those technologies. And then, you know, what is the level of protection that we want to give to the consumer? Because we will be able to reach to zero illnesses, right? That's impossible, right? But what is the level of protection? And there is these healthy goals, right? 30 that, you know, that the federal uh, agencies, they do every 10 years, right? So I think that's, we can compare that against what re- the reduction of salmonella we want. How much, you know, illnesses coming from poultry are related to that, you know, healthy goal. And then I think we can adjust the concentration. But I will say between one and 100, you know, most of the risk assessment models are within that, you know, uh, range uh, of, of concentrations. I've seen 10, uh, no, no more than 100. I think that will be, you know, uh, between 1 and 100. It's where the direction it's, it's going uh, for enumeration levels. And then um, in terms of like the, those 2030 healthy people goals that you're talking about, um, what is their sort of rate of illness and people that they're they're aiming for and where are we right now in terms of of that do you happen to know what those are right i think we're like 15 cases per 100,000 and i think they wanted to reduce it to 11 11 point something 11 so uh, uh like a 20 20 percent 20 30 percent decrease and again poultry is a small part right of 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 the puzzle right and, and, you know, uh, the latest IFSAC, you know, attribution, uh, there is uh, this interagency uh, prediction uh, reports that they attribute illnesses to different food commodities. So when you see the latest report, now plant-based food products are more at- attributed to salmonella than animal products. So actually, if I'm working at a federal agency like FSIS or FDA, if I reduce the salmonella, you know, prevalent in plants, will have much greater reduction rather than using salmonella in animal products. I show you, you know, the effort of the poultry and meat industry to reduce salmonella levels prevalence. And now we need to, you know, put pressure as well on the uh, plant base, you know, uh, uh, products because they are carrying a lot of salmonella too and illnesses. And which which plant based products are there particular ones? Uh, sprouts is one of them. A ready to eat salads in general. Um, you know, fresh produce in general. You know, they fresh have produce been- in general out outnumbers in terms of foodborne illness attributed to salmonella in people. Yeah, 
Yeah. Because people don't, like if it says ready to eat, people listen and say it's ready to eat and they just eat it. They don't do that extra wash step or it tends to be things that aren't, they don't clean again. And the other thing is that we import quite a bit of fresh produce and water. It's a big, big issue. Water quality, yes. And, and in other countries like Mexico, we import a lot of fresh produce from Mexico and then depending on the region. You know, water, it's it's an open environment, right? It's a, it, it's yeah. So so that's really, really hard to control. You know, microbial contamination in water. That will be one of the main issues, I think, for future food safety and fresh parties. Trying to improve that what the irrigation water that gets used on fresh produce. So in terms of um, you know, being a I don't want to say that the poultry industry seems to be a focus, but we seem to be a, a, a regulatory focus for FSIS. Um, and, and is that, you know, in terms of like, maybe we're a, a readily available control point, they feel like some of those plant things are too hard for them to, to control. Like you're saying, it's on imported product. Um, it's not something that, that USDA or FDA can regulate. Um, it is some of this just that, oh, we can pass regulations for animal-based products. And is that why we have become the focus? That's also a good question. You know, uh, uh, I cannot predict what FSIS, you know, um, I don't know, maybe, the, you know, poultry products are the longest, I will say, you know, in terms of attribution of salmonella illnesses to poultry has been of the longest, but also has been one of the uh, uh, where industry has put most of the efforts, right? So we have done a lot of different strategies. We know a lot of, you know, how to control salmonella in, in, in poultry, right? Um, and, and again, you know, it's 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 becoming harder and harder to even reduce further the prevalence of the, uh, you know, uh, levels in salmonella because we have really a very low, low, low level, you know? And and the other thing is usually we focus only on the big industry or big facilities, but we have a lot of small production. And, and, and nobody's looking at, you know, sort of like backyard or people, what their, you know, consumption is from like, you just get eggs from your friend. Those birds are salmonella positive. I guarantee, like they they have salmonellas, like they're chickens, they are there. So I don't think any of that is being measured. And and if you look at at those flocks, especially like we know in terms of what we've seen just for high path even influenza, like those flocks are out there, they are numerous. And I don't I don't think any of that. I, I know CDC has been tracking kind of like baby chicks, like the baby chicks that people. Um, you know, get in the springtime or around Easter, they, they know that those have, have been a source um, for years. Um, but in terms of, <clears throat> in, you know, how other routes that people could get exposed, um, what are some other, you know, we've talked about plant-based products, we've talked about poultry, you know, are there other animal, um, either other animal meat sources or other things in the environment that could be sources of salmonella to consumers. Yeah, so I, I was thinking also two two other things, right? That I wanted to uh, highlight as well. You know, from 
from data gaps actually. Oh, love that. We have several data gaps. What is yes. the consumer practices? What are the because most of the industry and I agree, they say, well, we kind of lose control of my product once it leaves my facility, right? And I will say that the actually the critical part for risk is what happens to your product once it reaches the household, right? What is the temperature, how the people are freezing it, throwing a product, the cooking, the handling, washing hands, washing the cutting board, right? Um, the studies that I found for the research and the publications that we have published, they are more than 10 years old, right? And I think people have learned, you know, that, yeah, we need to cook well poultry, COVID, right? Washing the hands, right? Come on. That was a very, you know, direct you know, um, direct teaching people about biohazards. Hey, just wash your hands. Exactly. So, but we haven't really reevaluated these consumer practices in terms of washing, in general, hands, cutting boards, cooking. You know, and 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 that at the end, it's what makes you sick. Right. Make sick. That's that's <clears throat> more ex- like I think probably the greatest exposure, probably that like in in house kind of mishandling practices. And the other thing I feel is like, you know, just, um, you know, like a lot of outbreaks are linked to like um, institution food, like prisons or nursing homes or like hotel catering, like where something has been mishandled, but not necessarily someone's fault. Um, You know, not, it's not malicious. It's just, it it happens. Like stuff gets left out of refrigeration. I'm just going to go ahead and use it. Um, how how do we address that that gap that almost like that public information piece? Yeah, I mean surveys, observational studies. Um, you know, keeping keeping educated the consumer campaigns. You know, but but really surveys and working with uh, the social science departments at universities. You know, uh, really looking again what was the impact of COVID, right? What was the impact of the pandemic situation in terms of cleaning and washing hands practices among consumers when they are preparing like poultry products, right? That would be really a, of a great value because I think things have changed after the pandemic. I think I think people are more conscious about, you know, in general, you know, microbial hazards, you know, uh, in their kitchen. Um, uh, so, so that will be very valuable. If we can reevaluate, you know, with different projects, asking consumers doing in most social science studies, because at the end, the risk assessment is heavily, you know, influenced by what the final consumer practice is. And the other point that I want to highlight, I want is cost. We need more cost-benefit analysis for all of these interventions. You know, so we need, we as a food scientist, veterinarians, you know, public health practitioners, we need to uh, work closely with applied economists and look at the cost and benefit of those interventions, like testing. If we right. apply this, the have a cost. yes, serotyping, a cost, right? Any intervention that we put in the, uh, you know, there will be a cost related. And, you know, if you talk to the food industry as well, they are, the, their margins are extremely, extremely low. Yeah. And, and, and if you look across the poultry industry right now, just kind of due to economics and oversupply, like companies are losing money right now. And, and our industry goes goes through that and and companies are are losing money on a daily basis right now so inputs in into that are 
you'd have to heavily weigh it and, and, or it would need to be regulated upon you. Right. Um, you know, right. Right. One thing that, uh, I kind of, uh, uh, sell the idea about the value of bio, doing a biomapping and enumerating salmonella, you know, is that you can have good surprises in terms of, because now we're applying antimicrobials in a lot of different processing steps, right? We're applying peroxyacetic acid everywhere. Everywhere. PAA for everyone. <laughs> everywhere. And, you know, and looking at the latest publications, you can realize that there are certain steps that you are doing nothing. Right. That's what I think we need to identify is, like, this is a high-value intervention. Correct. You know, like you're going to get, like you were saying, we don't have the data to show, all right, PAA applied at this point in processing gets you a two log reduction. Correct. Like that, that if you, if, you know, researchers came up with that type of data, that's useful for companies because then you're going to save on the, that chemistry that you're using in the plant um, instead of just putting it wherever you think it needs to go, you are going to strategically utilize the product. Exactly. And at the end, less antimicrobial is less yes. cost of producing, right. right? So you are saving the cost. You're investing in this biomapping. You're right. investing in enumerating salmonella in different points. But yes. at the end of the day, you're optimizing your process. Right. And you are, it's a cost-saving at the end okay. of did you Did you submit a grant for that already, Fernando? I, I'm thinking about it. Okay. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things. And and then adding the cost-benefit analysis into that, right? What specific antimicrobials and what processes is cost-effective on adding adding the antimicrobial? But based on your original question, Salmonella, my my answer my answer is Salmonella is everywhere. It doesn't matter what product actually you're manufacturing. I tell the industry you always will identify Salmonella as a foreseeable hazard, microbial hazard. It doesn't matter if it's a dry, wet, plant-based, animal-based product. It doesn't matter. Whatever you think of, you always find outbreaks, recalls, you know, related to salmonella. So salmonella is everywhere. Everywhere. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think people realize that. Like people have a mental association. Um, I, I think most people would be like, you know, like you were talking about ready to eat salads. Oh no, I can't get salmonella from that. I, and I think that's, again, a consumer education um, piece. They just associate maybe other meats, but I really do feel like poultry gets the, you know, the brunt of, of things in terms of eggs and, and poultry meat of, of various products. Yeah. Right, right. But but again, the consumer has the key. If they cook mm-hmm. it well, you know, but with a salad, with fresh produce, with yeah, any- there's no, yeah, there's no cooking. So anything that it's there, you know. Uh, so in terms of, you know, your food science background and, and you know, on, put on your future scope, um, is there technology in the pipeline to address that, like for fresh produce or even, you know, future technologies coming down the pipeline um, to somehow, uh, you know, treat finished products, say for poultry? Yeah, for fresh produce, again, is water. Water quality, um, you know, um, the problem so is... nothing high-tech, pretty basic technology. Just pretty basic, pretty basic. clean water. Right, and yeah, and then use this risk 
risk mentality, what I call risk mentality, like looking at your surroundings, where does your field, right? Um, and what is, because most of the uh, outbreaks, most of the recalls, it's because there is an animal, you know, a mm. farm nearby, or there is human activity nearby. That is something that it's at the end of the day, contaminating the water, right? With usually fecal material, right? Fecal matter in the right. water. So between right. this risk mentality, risk-based approach saying, okay, what, what is, what is going on around my farm field or even wildlife, right? I mean, is, is there any life activity, right? Um, but, but if we're using open source water, that's really hard, right? I mean, what technology you can use to control an open source water? If you have a, a well, well, that's a different story, right? Oh yeah. You know, but, but open source water, um, that's 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 hard. That's hard. But but the risk risk pay mentality it's it's a it's a way a way to go right and testing and testing the what remotely. Um, so in terms of poultry, I think I think this enumeration strategy will bring a lot of different insights for the poultry industry for optimization, for knowing what works and doesn't work to compare against guidelines with standards like it's made my chilling process working. Is my, you know, washing steps working on that and where, where it's really effective or is not effective, right? I mean, it, I think it will bring a lot of insight. So this new quantification technology that we are using right now, the PCR, what it is, PCR, will bring a lot of different insights uh, for the poultry industry. Hopefully we can come into agreement of a, of a regulatory limit that will protect the consumers. We want to Increase really that will have a huge impact in cost, and and you know and and that's an agreement between industry and the regulatory agency. Yes, I, I think I think that's critical in terms of as you said the the U.S. industry has done a great job reducing um, what is present um, in, in product currently, and um, I think that, I think we have to you know sort of tell our story a little bit when it comes to you know those regulatory. Um, types of environments of okay, we've we've already as an industry, um, you know, we we've done this, this, and this, and you know, we've we've identified um, control points that we think work. Um, so I, I think that 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 the need to have that science um, based approach in terms of a regulatory environment, and and how. Ha- how do we help direct, um, you know, you, you've had an ARS background and now you're in a university setting. How do we help drive that research? Um, you know, is that, is that industry sort of saying we, we need this? Um, you as a scientist helping to identify those risks. Um, h- how, do we, how do we support that? Does, does FSIS, you know, come to you and say, we'd like to look at this? Um, do they have grant programs? How, how does that get done? That's hard <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I feel that when you apply for a ground proposal from USDA, for example, it needs to be something really innovative, right? Like right. really sexy, really yes. a great and involve people. It's got to have, you know, a human health twist to get the really big bucks. Yeah. Right. And, and we're talking about here, like I will say applied science, right? right? Really applied, really very applied, right? And sometimes that's not sexy. No, like applied science sometimes doesn't go well with 
innovation, something innovative, something breakthrough, right? right? So yeah, um, we I think we as a researchers we <laughs> tend to come around saying, okay, I want to accomplish this, but what else we could do right. to make a proposal like you know looking at new things, you know, uh, but having the this basic knowledge that it will be very beneficial for the industry, right? In terms of gaining knowledge on on the behavioral someone else, right? So we need to play that devil's advocate always, right? Saying I want to accomplish this, but what else I can add to the grant proposal uh, to make it more, I don't know, to add something that it will break through. And we don't know what the direction will be for that piece, right? Because it's completely, it's, it's like uh, taking the risk. We take a lot of this, you know, risks when we submit those proposals. But then there is this community organization like NAMI, you know, the North American Institute. That's a very directed research, you know, by the industry. So, you know, we're working currently with two different proposals that we got from NAMI, for example. Nice. You know, risk assessment and ground products, right? And the effect right. of innovation, right? So, so yeah, there are other ways rather than the USDA, you know, ground proposals that you can uh, use more applied research, you know, to solve industry issues. So it, it just for our listeners that you know they might be working with a company like what's what's one takeaway message um, that you would like them to know about you know salmonella and current risk? Yeah, try to understand your process. Try to understand the behavior of salmonella in your process and optimize. Try to optimize what are the effective interventions to reduce salmonella. So biomapping, invest in biomapping and quantify salmonella in different steps and analyze the data and identify the processes that are effective and processes that are not effective. And, and yeah, that will be a cost saving, um, you know, a strategy and, and, and the way to control salmonella effectively. So invest in a biomap, biomapping of salmonella in your facility. That's perfect. That's great. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. At JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operation safe. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Natural Biologics is using cutting-edge science to dig deeper into the poultry health challenges you face. By gathering scientific evidence, they identify the most effective combinations of natural ingredients that improve animal health. Visit naturalbiologics.com poultry to see the newest research in both turkeys and chickens. Okay, um, that kind of, we'll, we'll finish up the, the, the salmonella, the microbes talk. Um, so from a professional standpoint, um, in terms of if there's food scientists here or researchers here that would like to, to get into what you do, um, what are some tips that you would sort of give people coming into the industry? Yeah. Uh, so if you are uh, fresh out of the university, <laughs> you know, come to the mindset that you, there is a lot of things that you still need to learn, um, you know. <laughs> right. Continual education. Exactly. 
And and I, I will I will think getting exposed to different jobs, right? I mean, like applying for I don't know SSIS SSIS for example inspection or SSIS, you know, uh, jobs will give you a, a a perspective on what is working with a federal agency, right? And then you know, working for the industry, right, will give you a very different perspective on on business, right? The business of, of food the fast pace, right? The international environment, the supply chain, that everything is interconnected, right? Uh, and then, you know, the academia, it seems less sexy. I don't know why for people don't think about academia in the first place. We're, do, we're doing the mission work, you know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. But if you want to, yeah, if you have a curious mind, I will say. and That's you, true. You know, and you always think about, okay, well, what else we could do? You know, what research, you know, what, what things we could, you know, uh, come up with, you know, based on science and research and data, you know, I mean, academia, it's a great, a great way, you know, to, to feed your curious mind, but don't, don't, I, I will say, don't restrict your, yourself in a specific sector. I mean, getting exposed to different sectors, it's a great, great experience. And the U.S., I think is a great country for that, you know? I see in other countries where, oh, I'm a public official and I will be a public official for the rest of my life. That's the mindset, right? In Spain, for example, in Europe, I will say, if you get a government position, why I want to move now to the industry or to academia? I'm good where, where I am. Here in the U.S., I see a lot of movement, right? People work for the yeah, FSIS, they move to the industry, back to academia. You know, they change for different sectors. That's great. I love that. I love the opportunities that you know the U.S. you know gives to professionals. So yeah, don't restrain yourself in a specific sector and try to get exposed to different sectors if you can. So, from a personal interest, what do you miss the most about Spain? Wow, food. <laughs> I was gonna. I've been to Spain once myself. I'd be like, oh, I'd, the food. I'd eat paella like every day, and the little almonds that are in like every bar and everything's so fresh. Yes. Yeah. We're a peninsula, you know, we share mm-hmm. the sea with Portugal, right? So we're surrounded by sea. Right. But there All is a the- big, big culture on fresh seafood and, you know, uh, actually. You I don't I, exactly have that in Minnesota. Sorry. No, no. You know, a fresh, pretty freshwater fish, you know, is the land of 10,000 lakes, right? Right. Right. Walleye. You can well, get yeah. <laughs> plenty of walleye. But yeah, food for sure. But I'm a I'm a cook as well, so I brought all the uh, the paella pan and everything. you have your pan. Yeah, to paella here, Minnesota. Well, good. Well, I'm sure all of your uh, family and neighbors there appreciate when uh, when that happens. Right. Yeah. Um, Fernando, I really appreciate your time today. I think you've really um, given some great information in terms of risk for salmonella and how our industry can really examine the practices that we're currently doing and and um, maximize, um, you know, the tools that we already have in place. So um, I'm sure you can find Fernando on the University of Minnesota website if you have further questions. I'm sure he would uh, welcome your email. And um, that'll be it for the Poultry Podcast Show today. Thanks for joining us. 